You know, I think one of the most important things to be thinking about and putting at least the basic in place is the data strategy. And that is where do you have your really core data sets? You know, for us, we think about customer data. We think about our order data. We think about what we call entitlements, which is a customer's contract for use over a period of time. And when I think of those as core data sets, there's probably many more, including employees. And, and then you have another set of data like a lot of IoT data may or may not be critical. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of having Jen Felch in the studio with me. Now, Jen is the Chief Digital Officer and Chief Information Officer for Dell Digital. Jen, great to have you on the show. How's your day going? It's going great so far. Thank you. Well, I've been looking for this conversation for a long time now. To introduce you, uh, you've been with Dell for essentially a decade, which we'll get into in a moment, but you've got an amazing background. You've got degrees in computer and information science, in business administration and management, mechanical engineering, and a whole range of other things. So you come from a fairly technical background, but you've also got a, an amazing uh, career path in the business side of things. So you, it seems to me in this role that you've got now, and congratulations on the exciting role, you've got this perfect pedigree of sort of business and engineering all blending into one. Give us a little insight into the remit and, and sort of how the role came about and what it's been like so far. Okay. You know, first I'll say uh, thank you for having me. And, you know, as you're, I listened to your comments about my background, I, I was kind of wondering, uh, you know, how this was all going to come together, all these various experiences from engineering and software to, you know, marketing and factory roles. And the role that I have today is really enables me to potentially take advantage of those various experiences. And the role is, you know, we call it our chief digital officer and CIO. You know, we have all the responsibility of an IT organization, plus the responsibility to help drive digital transformation across the company. And, you know, that might be the remit of every IT organization but we've done some things just in terms of, you know, changing the name to help change the attitude and help to change some of the behaviors about not just, you know, quote, dealing with the IT systems, but trying to enable really positive change, whether that's new customer experiences or driving efficiencies within uh, within our current operation. So that's a Dell, Dell Digital. I was excited to see it. I mean, for, for listeners who, who may or may not know the actual timeline, I mean, it was announced publicly, I remember, uh, as late as I think it was, um, uh, it was the 5th of September, I think I remember seeing um, uh, both the announcement came out and also uh, I saw Michael Dell uh, give you a, a big shout out, which was fantastic. Nothing better than a tweet from Michael Dell uh, to, to recognize something. But it's an, it's an interesting thing because it's one of those roles where sometimes people don't always know what the role in the remit is. And even an organization the size of Dell to now sort of recognize this and go, you know, there's a new way to do business, there's a new way to solve business and technology problems, and appointing yourself as uh, chief digital officer with the underpinning challenge of, of sort of being a CIO as well inside Dell Digital, uh, now kind of just, you know, legitimizes this whole switch into, I think, you know, quote unquote, being more like a software organization in many ways and being able to leverage, uh, you know, continuous development, continuous improvement, DevOps, and all the magic that comes with that. Yeah, you know, I think it's been really, um, I think it's been really great. There's a nice evolution of um, of our organization from, you know, four years ago, four and a half years ago, you could think of it as being a very, um, a, a traditional IT organization. 
And then with the merger with EMC, we spent a lot of time like, how are we going to how are we going to come together? How are we going to bring our systems together? How are we going to bring our processes together? And then you know, from there, kind of merging into saying, well, now that we've you know got the basics behind us, how are we actually going to transform this new you know company to be what we you know what we aspire to be in terms of, you know, having really great experiences for our customers and great experiences for our employees. But I look at it kind of a, a continuum. And while we've, you know, I say that we've been doing that, there are a lot of kind of foundational things that were happening along the way to enable us to be able to say, okay, now we're going to focus on DevOps. That means we actually have, you know, software developers on our team that are, um, that are able to write really, you know, mission critical applications that are highly scalable, not just rolling out packaged applications. So a nice evolution of our team members as well in terms of capabilities that we have. And um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty awesome, really. No, indeed. I, I, there was a great quote that I made a note of that you had, which uh, I'd love to put in a T-shirt. It was something to the fact that you said that you're moving design and DevOps to the forefront of IT and, uh, and, and, and you know, like a software organization. And, and it, it really uh, it struck a chord with me because we're now sort of in the world where, you know, cloud native is normal. It's the natural. It's the sort of the new black, as they say. And um, software-defined infrastructure is the new normal. And even when we get further down the stack, software-defined networking, uh, network function virtualization, where, you know, I remember, uh, was it Mark Andreessen a long time ago said that uh, software is going to eat the world? And, and uh, you know, there's an argument that data is eating the world, but uh, I think that very much has come to fruition now. And I just love that quote that you said that, uh, I think the words were, uh, we're moving design and DevOps to the forefront of IT like a software organization. And I think overall that really encapsulated some of that future direction of the likes of what you're doing inside uh, Dell Digital, where you're not turning the whole thing upside down, you're just leveraging all the new magic that comes with uh, that whole space of, of you know thinking about things from a different design perspective and assuming that things are software-defined infrastructure now so we can move faster and leaner and keener. Because, um, you know, that's that's our new world and new normal. I'd love to just quickly get an, a right. bit of insight into, I mean, when we talk about your role as, as CDO slash CIO, maybe give listeners a little insight into what Dell Digital itself is first. I mean, let's set the scene as to what is Dell Digital and what its remit is and, and kind of where it fits into the Dell world. Mm-hmm. So Dell Digital is, you know, the the name evolved from the fact that we had an IT organization and we had another organization that had um, the Dell.com and the online presence. And when those teams came together, you know, the the we got a new name and said we're not just IT, we're actually Dell Digital and we're creating digital experiences not just for customers but for our internal um, our internal employees and our internal processes as well. And I think it's been you know, it sounds really subtle, like maybe that was just a swipe of the pen, you know, someone decided to give the organization a new name, but it actually was a, a great signal to say, we're all going to work a little differently now, um, even though we have some shared objectives, right? We have shared objectives about the experiences that we create, but we also have shared um, objectives about the scalability and our operational rigor that we'll bring to everything that we do. So Dell Digital is our 
you know, the coming together of those organizations. And we've been together for and and named Dell Digital for probably three three years now. Um, so that's what Dell Digital is. And you know, I would go back a little bit about how important uh, design and dev DevOps those functions are to an IT organization. I mean, I'm, when you, you know, when we think about software companies, software companies really, you know, especially early stage companies are really focused on what are, what are customers trying to achieve? What are the latent needs? What are the things that people haven't yet described, but they have a pain point for us? a pain point to resolve. And that's one of the things that we're trying to drive with our focus on design. So we have design experts in our organization, but we're also trying to bring that discovery and framing process to all of the all of the teams, whether they're building new applications or they're building uh, solutions as part of our team member experience, even infrastructure, or even, I shouldn't say even infrastructure, but we might not think that your infrastructure team needs to be thinking about design, but we do. We have to design for not only con- you know continuous <laughs> operations and yeah. high availability, but design so that we can easily we can easily detect things. We're not like hunting around through various applications to find out where we might have a failure. It's just kind of a mindset of boy, make it easy for people to make it easy for people to take the right action quickly and give them all the information that they need to make that decision, right? It's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because you've got this whole cross-functional challenge of um, your internal focused uh, mixture of developing and designing for operational piece uh, yourselves and the IT challenge that comes with that IT-OT balance. You've got the customer journey, you've got the internal teams and staff journey, you've got product uh, evolution to manage um, you've, from design and ideation all the way through to development, implementation, build, maintenance, support, etc. You've got an enormous organisation with this, this long-running uh, successful lineage uh, of environments that have been around for potentially decades as well as new and emerging things. Uh, it, it's almost the case that I imagine that behind the door, when you close the door and get some fresh air, you, you're actually a professional juggler as well. I can imagine uh, that you can, you've got so many things uh, that you've got to, to have not just your finger on the pulse, but also an eye on the horizon as to where they're going. Underpinning all this, it seems to me that there's this whole phrase that we hear all the time of digital transformation that, that gets so beaten up in, in different ways by the media. But when we think about that, sort of digital transformation journey. Um, how are you seeing that whole space of digital transformation change as you're enacting this space and that balance between what you've got currently that's operationally got to keep running versus the cross-functional pieces with, with the balance between staff and internal systems and customer journeys? And depending on all that, the digital transformation uh, pieces that are becoming, a, I guess, a daily drumbeat, how's that changing in your world? Well... I think digital transformation, I mean, we hear, we use the words all the time, you know, we're transforming, we're transforming. But when I, when I think about it, I try to step back to say, you know, the good old um, idea of process improvement and continuous improvement hasn't gone away. And we should always, you know, keep, keep doing that work. I always think of digital transformation is when people are engaging directly with the system with no intervention, right? So, and I think, um, you know, when I think about it that way and and we talk about it, it really, it really tries to uh, shift our mindset to say, you know, how do you just enable 
Disabled people, we think about it as self-service, but you give them all the information at their fingertips and they don't have to talk to another human being. And that usually shifts people's mindset. That's what I think of as digital transformation. And we look at, we have a bunch of, you know, key processes, whether we're working with our business partners about, uh, you know, we talk about how do you make things frictionless so there's no, you know, things just smoothly go from one stage to the other with all the right validations and we shift any information that's needed to the left so that people, you know, you ask for what you need at the very beginning and then nothing slows down because you've um, got all the, the right data. We try to do the same thing internally. So when I think about digital transformation and kind of have two two roles. One is how are we um, showing our business partners or collaborating because many of them have lots of uh, great ideas, but how are we collaborating with the information we have so that they can drive change in their process, whether that's sales or manufacturing or finance? And then how are we applying those same principles to our IT operations, whether we have, like you said, whether we have a legacy application or it's a brand new, you know, cloud native application, or it's an existing infrastructure effort, or or it's people calling in for help, you know, first level one support, someone has a question about, you know, an application or their laptop or whatever it might be. How are we digitally transforming our own processes so that they are efficient and people can actually self-serve? Um, people tend to, you know, while we, we all talk about, um, we like to talk to other people. We like to get um, really competent help so that we get things resolved the first time. But ultimately, we actually like to not ever have to ask for help because things just take care of themselves, right? Or... Um, or we have the information at our at our fingertips that we can just take care of it without having to talk to talk to someone. Indeed. Now that might be that might does that might be my own point of view is that I'd rather just like take care of it and then talk to people about fun stuff. Um, but you know, it's never great to have to just walk through either an internal process where you're filling out forms and you know filing trouble tickets and waiting for someone to respond. It's just you know, it personally pains me. So as much as we can drive that out of our own process and help our business partners to do the same, I think the better off we'll all be. Indeed. You, you actually, there was a blog that I read you published back, I think it was uh, early September, actually. Um, and it was around the timing of your, your uh, role announcement. And you used the phrase, the path to digital. And it really, I loved it. I actually made a note of it while I was doing my homework. Because uh, it sort of, it, you know, it really describes this whole thing you're talking about now is that is that when we think about Dell Digital and your role itself and the underpinning digital transformation that's got to happen on a daily basis, it becomes a cultural and behavioral shift that's got to start. And you mentioned that uh, just a moment ago around sort of the people piece. I imagine that yeah. you know, any organization, but particularly the size of, of Dell as a brand, um, you know, over time culture develops and behavior develops. And as you try to bring about these forms of transformation, I imagine you've got to start with the people in many ways first. And 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 uh, I think you used a phrase at one point. I, I was listening to one of your talks, and you said that uh, something around the lines that you've got to put a human face on this whole challenge. And there was a great line that you used where I think you said something to the effect, and I'm going to paraphrase it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something like, you can't command a cultural change. You have to actually live it and in turn, I imagine, earn it. And and I really love that because I think we, we forget that when we, the reason we're building these systems of any form is to essentially serve humans and make life better and, and improve life. Um, and underpinning all that challenge, you, you know, going back to the comment you made before of just 
you know, with the people part of it, um, it must be an interesting challenge to sort of bring about that cultural shift and, and, and the resulting behavioural changes as that, because without that, no matter how great the system is, it isn't going to function, is it? No, it's not. It's not. Um, I think actually the driving the cultural change is perhaps one of the biggest opportunities, and that's so that you know there's a there's a change on many fronts when you're when you're trying to um, drive this digital transformation. And the first is you know at least for I try to ask myself for me, am I um, am I leading as a digital leader? Meaning, you know, am I looking, am I actually looking at, at data myself? Am I looking at dashboards or am I, you know, kind of propagating, you know, my, my history, the way we've worked in the past. And so I think that that aspect is important for all of us to be thinking about, like, are we really, are we digital leaders? So, you know, you can, I can ask my children, like, how they would operate something or what they would look for. I mean, they would never go to email for anything. They would never look at a PowerPoint. They would just, you know, you just want to see how <laughs> things are actually performing. So uh, I've maybe got the that's, same, that's I've got the same problem. Secret sauce. Right. Of like, yeah, what would your kids do? Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you look through all those emails? Um, but I think the other aspect of driving a change, like we're we're trying to change what we're doing, but we're also trying to change how we're working. And so, you know, for me, I think I need to uh, maybe I, I, I say I need to, but I also really enjoy understanding the new processes and the new tools and going into a bit of the details when I can to understand how people are adopting the tools, how they're driving a process change. You know, I think about, um, I like to think of myself as, you know, kind of a core product manager. Maybe it's my, my um, history. And so, you know, I look at what our product leads are doing, how they're writing their user stories. Um, I like to ask questions about it. And, and for me, it's probably a way of, of just saying, I really care about the work that we're doing. And we're all in this together. It's not to judge, but to collaborate on new ways of working and learning together. And then, you know, driving for for better outcomes for the company and for our organization. But I do think you can't command that. You can't just say, hey, go do this and not be willing to do it yourself or not be willing to understand it in enough detail so that you can make, you know, you can make good decisions as you're, as you're going forward. Indeed, it reminds me of, uh, I won't say who, but uh, an associate of mine here in Asia-Pacific recently uh, uh, was awarded a CDO role as well. And uh, I spent a couple of days in his office just uh, getting across what they were doing. And uh, he printed out an email, handed it to me, and I said, what on earth are you doing? And it's like, I need you to take that and read it and make notes. I said, you are the chief digital officer. <laughs> you don't print things. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and went, oh, my God, what did he do? Um, <laughs> I was like, go you put that in the bin, burn it, pretend it didn't happen. It was interesting. Yeah. But the other interesting thing underpinning all that, just listening to what you're saying there, uh, some of the detail that came out was that there's a language and a vocab that also probably has to follow this and that you are living and breathing that language and vocab. You are setting the tone, you're setting the language uh, that essentially drives that behavioural shift and then the underwriting culture. Because you've got this balance, of course, between um, sort of the the existing organisations so sort of, you know, without a negative slight, but the, the legacy infrastructure, who, companies who are not cloud natives, I think you once phrased it, uh, and then you've got the news, new and great things from sort of startups to, to 
uh, cloud natives. Um, and then you've got the, the age gaps between as well, because we, you know, one of the biggest challenges in any organisation, I'm sure Dell's no stranger to this, is five generations of workforce um, from for, you know boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, and the millennials over, over the top of it. And uh, you know, as you said, you've got some people who are. Um, you know, in my case, I know people are running around still with stubby pens and clipboards and engineering spaces, and then I also know people in the same company running around with smartphones, expecting everyone to to DM them, as it were. Or you know, pe- people don't even SMS anymore; they text. Right. Um, so there's that piece. I imagine yeah. that you've got to, lead, as you said, lead by behaviour. Um, but you know, you you literally cannot print out an email ahead to somebody anymore. Um, do you see people adopting that across the different age groups? Is this something that would sort of is an easy thing for them to gravitate to and move to and sort of get in lockstep with? Or is, you know, I guess it depends on the organisation and Dell's sort of more of a digitally savvy and switched on company. But across the board, are there, is there adoption to this now in a comfortable way or is, is there some sort of, um, sort of pushback in some areas where you've just got to tackle it slightly differently? You know, I like to think that there's... Um I like to think that there's great adoption of it. In fact, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about we have a couple of really great examples here uh, on the same the same floor that I that I sit on, where we offer a um, an immersion program, and so it's 12 weeks. You bring your work with you, and you go through in a coached environment, you know, a process of you know, discovery and framing of what's the problem that we're going to solve with your business partner. You'll do the programming, paired programming, uh, get into a regular rhythm of release. And the reason I'm I'm telling you about that uh, program is that what I've seen is that we end up getting a mix of people into into those uh, teams, mix meaning different backgrounds, different ages. There could be a 20-year age gap in, could be 30 years, in a single team, and they do phenomenal work because what ends up happening is you bring the sort of modern experience, the, the, the demand for a modern experience from one set of people, and you bring the expertise of highly scalable or the operational experience from another set, and you put them on the same team. And when you created that environment where they can learn from each other, they can be a little vulnerable because they're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to make some mistakes. The results are incredible. And I couldn't be prouder of some of the work that I've seen come out of these teams where they, in fact, those teams have been winning hackathons over the last six months uh, and almost to, almost to, um, it just cracks me up because they've created something really magical, and I'm not sure how we how we reproduce it at, at scale. But I love it. We are seeing a lot of support that way. I imagine that it'll scale naturally and organically, though, because uh, uh, I've seen something slightly similar, but not quite at that level, where the approach of reverse mentoring worked very well in, in federal government. Um, I've had the opportunity to a host yeah. number of situations like this for transformal change. And, and one of the things I would do is literally start at the front desk and, and say, right, I want the person on the security desk, the reception desk. I want someone from each of the departments. Let's go and hang out and just spend an hour over lunch and just get to know each other and, and, and listen to sort of the, the younger generations and say, look, you know, not everything old is bad, but, you know, there are some things that are just holding us back like boat anchors. And we do reverse mentoring. So, you know, Get some of the younger folks yeah. in the front of the room. And say, how do you how do you currently operate? You know, what do you do in your life? How do you how do you order food? How do you book a taxi? Uh, or how do you just get a ride? You know, and go through that life experience. And then how does that reflect back in the company? So it sounds like that program you've got is is doing a blend of that. 
I also, something that jumps out of my mind is that you've got this perfect opportunity for diversity. Because I think when we think about diversity, there's a whole range of other uh, old concepts that come with that, and race, creed, religion, sex, etc. But really, diversity in my mind is putting lots of different people with lots of different views and experiences in a room and letting them build on the strengths of each other. So I think that's a perfect solution for that whole diversity of knowledge and experience because, I mean, there's some circumstances where someone with 20 years of experience has got some valid, good, solid stuff to build on, but at the same time, they may only know the way they've done it and someone new can turn around and say, well, you know, we can build an app for that, and all of a sudden things are quicker. Yeah. Uh, so I love that diversity idea. Um, that sort of brings me to one of the notes I had where you had a great comment along the lines, and again, it's another T-shirt moment. You said something to the effect that um, <laughs> you're not a tech hoarder. And at first I was like, mm, okay, what does that actually mean? But I think it's a perfect fit for, for, for the role because one of the biggest things that I think you're faced with is, is when do you retire something? When, you, when do you let something sunset and, and look at it and say, well, we've gotten everything we can out of that and to continue to, to, to drive it would, would just cost us more money or more risk or slow us down. There's a better way. Um, this is probably something that you're now in the, in the opportunity and position with this exciting new role to sort of convey that and say, well, you know, you are not personally a tech hoarder, uh, professionally, behaviourally, personally. How does that flow on? I mean, you must have some fun reactions to that comment and, and then sort of, I guess, some real business benefits as a result of that uh, approach. Yeah, you know, um, I think that comment came out in an in a, in all-hands, by maybe by accident, um, but I'm going to stick with with it, and I do think it would make a good a good T-shirt. There's many reasons. Like when I look at, well, why why do we have a like you know we fondly call it a legacy of applications, right, or a leg, legacy infrastructure, and oftentimes it can be because no one's really pushing to retire the applications, but those those that technical debt it becomes a ball and chain. Right, you. It's very hard to move quickly if you have your global, you know, global systems when you're carrying, you know, 14 other versions of of an application that does similar work. Right. So there is a speed aspect that if you don't have a lot of, um, if you don't have a lot of technical debt that you're carrying around with you, you can move much more quickly. And now that may, you know, makes logical sense. Some of the reasons why we have it can be it's hard to find the people that know if we can shut it down. Sometimes right. we just we just try it. Sometimes we just try it. We say, let's shut it down and see what happens. Um, you know, we can see who, how many people are accessing it, et cetera, so we're not irresponsible about it. The other thing that can happen is when you're forming teams, we have teams that are, they identify with that one application, and they will keep it alive for the sake of their uh, employment. So what we have to do is be, you know, conscious about saying getting organized around not applications, but getting organized around products or product lines. Again, kind of like a software company, and you would say that might be the old, you know, the existing way or that's two versions old. You're on this one team and you're part of the future. And that has been amazing for bringing teams together to then say, yeah, you know what, let's go ahead and retire that. We can, you know, repoint the dependencies or repoint the other software to a newer version. And then they, they will find the energy to do that when they, when retiring legacy applications does not threaten their livelihood. Yeah. It's almost like you've got to, no, I think that's a brilliant way to position it. And it's one of those things where 
you know, if we think about what you were saying before about how do you bring about cultural change and how do you you affect behavioural shift, um, I think you know you've really really um, nailed something there that that frightens a lot of people. And that is that if I if I lose access to this version of the application that I've got almost muscle memory knowledge on how to drive it, what does that mean to me uh, for my job? Uh, if my department loses this, how do we function? Uh, in many ways, I, I imagine that as, in your role as chief digital officer, you can actually reverse a reward model and say, well. We will reward you to adopt new, great new things and we'll train you, we'll support you. I remember a project where uh, years ago in another lifetime, I was helping an associate transform a CIO role and they had three desktop refreshes running one on top of the other on top of the other. They just started a year apart with 24,600 desktops in this particular company. And a year into the first one, they'd achieved sort of, you know, version 1.1 and then they needed rollout 1.2 and at one point, I was like, why are you running three desktop refreshes? It makes no sense. And then I looked at the things they were refreshing. I was like, you're refreshing every single app. That doesn't make sense either. So I got permission to just pause it for 30 days. I said, you're not going to go broke in 30 days of not refreshing everything. And we just ran this zero-touch audit of everything running. And we found at most it was like 3% of the staff were using old versions of things just out of, the, as, as you're saying, out of comfort or knowledge. And we offered everybody a movie ticket for every time they were willing to have a go at learning the new version. And we, renew, oh, we removed the $6 idea. million dollar overhead of trying to finish three refreshes to keep people comfortable uh, with $6 movie tickets and just running free lunch and saying, come to the lunch. Every time you come to lunch, we'll give you a movie ticket. We can train the new version. That lets us retire three or four versions of something. And before we knew it, every, every one of these people that came became the, the greatest champion of all the new features in the software for $6 movie tickets. And, you know, we gamified wow. it. But as you said, you know, sometimes yeah. you just got to go and find out, well, can we turn this thing off? Because uh, sometimes just turning off and finding out, uh, obviously, with a bit of wisdom behind it, that maybe one person is just looking for some love to help get to the new version and get some training. Um, and, right. and I guess right. one of the things I was interested in is that you've got this interesting um, challenge between your internally focused uh, a piece of between operational and IT function. But there's also that whole customer journey in that is that what you build impacts the way the business runs. Uh, what you manage uh, impacts the way customers are, are managed and served. In many ways, the design of products and services going out to the real world. Um, what's that balance like? I imagine you've got this combination of business relations internally. You've got business relations with clients externally. That you're probably talking to people outside the, the sort of Dell brand, and and they've got some real world challenges that they're dealing with with on a daily basis, whether it's their own digital transformation. Uh, dealing with the, the the explosion of data and 5G and IoT coming at them, the security challenge that comes under that, the shift to cloud. Um, I'd really love to get some thoughts around and some insights from your world as to how you balance that juggle between your chief digital officer and transformation internally, but also a little bit of a view of kind of what your world's like when you deal with the outside world and take some of that value to customers and partners and integrators and how they're working with that, because that, that must be an interesting fun opportunity as well. Yeah, I think it's actually uh, a unique opportunity of being at, you know, at Dell is that we have to get to be a, you know, a customer of our internal products. So therefore, you know, people want to talk to us about how we're, how we're using the Dell solutions and how we're getting value out of it. Um, I'm just smiling to myself. You know, it's only been 90 days, Des, so I might not be an expert on how we do this. But, um, but in my mind, what I, what I think days. about it. Yeah, is how do we create an organization that really is a great reference customer um, for 
the company. And that means that we, you know, that we run an efficient and innovative IT organization. We have great examples of, you know, as customers engage with us, that they have a great experience through the tools and the information that the people they're talking to, that they the information that they have at their fingertips. Um, and I just try to focus on that. And I think if we do a great job there using, you know, the Dell solutions and creating great experiences for our employees and our customers, then I'll have plenty to talk about with the customers of the company. But if we don't do that, then um, nobody's going to want to talk to us. No, indeed. There was a great line I saw in in one of your tweets recently, actually, there was a great graphic panel. It had the term artfully managing complexity, the uh, the Dell digital way. And I love that. That was pretty cool because there there is a little bit of art to this magic. Um, When you're talking to some of these organizations, I imagine that you have the opportunity to step outside of the the Dell office, as it were, and and go to interesting places. Um, You must find yourself in a scenario where you're either in in a one-on-one or one-to-many in sort of boardrooms and whatnot, where people are just looking to you for exactly what you're talking about, Dan. That is that where do we start? How do we follow this journey? Because I imagine for you, um, you, you are your own first customer in many ways, as in you know, Dell's the primary focus, obviously. But then the secondary focus becomes the, the customer piece, and you're out in the, in, in the coalface talking to these humans all the time. Um, what are some of the practical tips that you, you relay to your peers or to some of your customers in, you know, when you're in those boardroom discussions and people say, okay, Jen, here's the, uh, <clears throat> here's the whiteboard marker, uh, perform some uh, Jedi mind tricks. Um, where do we start? Um, <laughs> how do we get down this, this journey of not just digital transformation but just each of these logical Lego block steps we have to take because we can't do it all in one night and we can't do it all at the same time. I'd love to get some insight in some of the practical tips that yeah. you're applying on a daily basis internally uh, in your role and across Dell, but, but also how you convey that to sort of the you know, boardroom level discussions, because that's something that comes up every single day for me. People say, where the hell do we start? What's the first step we take? Who should we be talking to? Um, where do we learn more? You know, and uh, right. uh, I, I imagine that's a really exciting opportunity as well, because now you're talking to peers about some of the challenges you're already facing yourself, and you can convey that experience to them. Yeah, I'm always flattered when they ask us. And then, um, you know, I try to just be really practical about it. And, you know, when I think about, you know, we talk about being on a transformation journey. Um, One of the things that we do is we're, you know, you and I have talked a lot about culture and people and investing in people. But then when we look at, like, well, what are the first steps in actually transforming the the other aspects, the process and the technology, I try to be really practical. Like look at existing, look at the problems that you know, because one, you'll know that you've actually solved them when you have. Now that might be, you know, we see um, we see organizations that have a significant, you know, uh, end of life situation. Well, you have two options. We may have many options, but you could replace, you could replace that in place. You could move the applications or you know what we what we're doing is where we have the end of we use our end of life effort to move things to the private cloud so we don't have you know as you described you know the three different rollouts um at one at one uh client of yours we try to look and say how can we make one investment that's going to that's going to do multiple things which is addresses an end of life situation maybe it addresses a security vulnerability but it moves us forward. The solution moves us forward on the path 
our transformation path, and that might be moving to the private cloud. That might be, um, you know, refactoring applications so that they're now cloud native instead of just sort of shoring up an application. We look to see is that going to be a North Star application, uh, which is how we identify is that is that application going to be part of our future or does that have a retirement plan, right? And if it's going to retire, we'll just retire it early and address address the other needs. But I try to be really, you know, solving small problems on the path to this bigger transformation because that lets us do a couple of things. One, it, it lets us be specific that we're addressing issues. We can measure that we're seeing results along the way because we've, you know, either addressed something very pragmatic. Um, and we can also measure our path to transforming, whether we're looking at, you know, we look at, you know, what percentage of our, like, for example, our Dell.com traffic, how much of it is going through PCF. It's not 100% yet, but that doesn't mean that we're um, not well on the way to being at 100%, right? So that's how I would suggest and how I do suggest of saying, you know, how do you get started? You, you actually get started by solving problems in new ways. And you gotta you got to run some experiments. You have to um, let people engage in new ways of working in kind of a safe environment, right? A safe environment to decide we're going to use, are we going to use new technology? We're going to use um, a new methodology. Are we going to have a team that's structured differently uh, so that we can come up with maybe with better solutions? So that's the other thing I suggest is, you know, run some exper- run some experiments where people can fail safely, but but move us on the path to working in new ways and achieving outcomes along the way. No, I like We've that. Probably that, seen too many right too many examples where you. That's great you, advice. You start off with a big problem, and then you don't see any results for six, nine, twelve months, and and people give up. You know. Yeah, countering that un, unrealistic expectation is a big challenge, isn't it? I, I th- and it, I mean, not just in, in sort of the whole chief digital officer thing, but across the organizations I'm seeing that, you know, they, they read something in the media and it's like, this is going to change the world. And all of a sudden somebody from the board level comes down and says, make this happen. You know, we're going to the cloud tomorrow. or We're going to be all data driven. And, and I, I think you've touched on some very right. critical points then that is that, you know, the day-to-day stuff has to keep running, so you, you know you've got to make sensible, measured changes. But they you know, they've got to have some real business benefit. It doesn't just have to be the new shining thing. But at the same time, yeah. experiment and try things because you know I think we've learnt many ways now that the fail and fail fast thing is a very practical way to approach things as long as you're not failing with the whole shop. Um, and it's that right. that juggle right. of you know securing buy-in from the top to actually be, get permission to do this and support and funding to then fighting some of that resistance to some of the change, as you mentioned before, um, maybe avoiding some of the distractions that come with out of the new shiny thing, making sure that there's real expectations on time and capability. But I loved what you touched on there with measuring as well. I think a lot of people forget that as you set out with this change, um, you know, it's one of those, what's that great line that says that, uh, you know, um, you can't manage something you don't measure and often there are teams that just right. run like a bull at a china shop at these things, changing things, and then forget, forget to stop and take measure and go, well, do, do we actually make it better or do we just change it for the sake of change? And I imagine you see that a right. lot in the industry as well, that, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's an Australian phrase that people say that I always bring up with this, and that is that, you know, people say, oh, change is as good as a holiday. And I'm like, yeah, but not necessarily in this space. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I, I, 
I can imagine that, that measuring things is so critical because it, you know change is great, but but did it bring a business benefit? Did it bring a cultural benefit? Did it bring a you know reduced cost and whatever the whatever the KPI might be? Um, that, that must be another underpinning success factor you have to really keep a close eye on. It's really important. Um, I think it's really important because then you have a good idea of like are are we actually adding value and you'll learn from it. If you if the if the answer could be no at times, then you say, well, why not? Like, did we not scope the problem correctly? Did we overestimate um, the maturity of the technology? Like, what was it that caused it to fail? And then you learn from it and and go on to the other the next thing. Um, you know, we have a pretty strong engineering culture at the company. And one of the things that that I just love to see that we're doing is when we're, particularly when we think about um, machine learning or if we're building like a rules-based model, we generally deploy it in parallel with the current process. And the reason I say, you know, coming from having this an engineering culture is that's not unusual, right? You would say, great, here's the current process. Here's the proposed process. We're going to run it for 90 days, or we're going to run these two in parallel for six months and make sure that the new proposal or like the new process, the new technology, um, the new algorithms are producing the results that we expect as compared to the normal. And hopefully those results are actually better, right? They're either more insightful, they're more accurate. Um, and I've seen us do that over and over again to validate and actually give confidence to our business partners that the, you know, the algorithms or the machine learning that we're doing together are producing the results that they want. And then, you know, then that kind of comes back to now you can be hands off. You've got enough confidence in what you've rolled out in an automated way that you're not, you're not second guessing, right? You're letting it run. You feel that you've got seen enough scenarios over the period of time that you've addressed the mainstream use cases and you've covered the anomalies, right? Indeed. I, I, one of the other challenges that you just uh, highlighted there was that often people make mistake, the mistake of thinking that change is, um, I guess, modernizing and, that, and, and the type of change. I mean, when we think about some of the stuff, you know, I've, I've had companies saying, oh, we've, we've gone to cloud-based web mail. I'm like, why? What was the benefit of that? And it turns out it slowed everyone down. I'm like, oh, it's modern, it's new, we've gone to the cloud. And I'm like, well, that, that isn't necessarily the best thing. Um, or, you know, they've upgraded something and saying that's disruption. And I think it's important to go back to what you're talking about there and those that be really clear about, you know, are you just doing an upgrade or are you just making a small change? Or is this a really pivotal shift? And it brings to mind an example I was writing about recently where uh, someone asked for a short blog and they're like, describe the difference between digital transformation and just change and, and the benefit. And I said, well, imagine a scenario where... Um, I used to go to a bank branch and fill in a form to apply for a bank account. And it would go for a day to someone to check the form and tick the boxes. And sometimes I'd made a mistake and I have to go back and do it again, sign it. Then, you know, someone would type in the details into a terminal and then print out something saying, hey, here you go. You've now been reviewed and approved. You've got an account. Here are the details on a piece of paper versus what I do now, which is just go to an app or a web page and type in my email address and a password. And it pings me back and says, here's your two-factor authentication. Click on the link. Bingo. You've now got an account. What type of as in a login on the platform, now what type of service account do you want? And within five minutes, I can self-service and get a bank account. And no humans have to block me and it takes five minutes so I can get the outcome. And the bank gets a win because they get new customers quickly. And, you know, there's a whole range of changes in that process, right? This, you get rid of the paper form, it's online, and, you know, and you get your outcome in minutes and all this resistance is gone. Versus, as I said, the example where someone said to me once in a bank, oh, we've gone to cloud with our email and everything's better. And I was like, well, 
from the front door to the operations room, <laughs> I'm hearing that it's slower, you know, and, and people have got to be online. Yeah. You know, people can't compose emails on the train home or whatever the case might be, or it's harder on the phone now. So we ended up having to reverse right. that process and, and put them back into a, a, a combination of the email platforms, let's call it. Um, one of the things that you brought up there when you're talking about some of that change, though, is that um, when companies are talking about some of this transformation, when they're talking about applying new technologies, there's some really big ticket items coming at them. You've talked about artificial intelligence, machine learning broadly. There's Edge, there's IoT, there's 5G. I'd love to get your thoughts on how organizations should prepare for this because you're living and breathing this now. I mean, when I think about what your role incorporates and, and, and the challenges you're facing many ways, you've got to be ahead of the curve. You've got to develop the capability and provide it inside the organization as far as Dell goes. You've got to be ahead of the curve before the market even knows it wants something. Uh, and, and across all of these things, because every time someone comes and asks uh, uh, yourself and your organization within Dell or whether a customer comes along and says, well, what's Dell Digital doing about this? Um, you've got to be across all these things. What kind of advice can you offer for organizations who are looking at saying, well, we, we want to leverage some of the technology, but what, what should we be thinking about and, and what's coming at us? So how do we prepare to apply the likes of not just artificial intelligence, but particularly specific things like machine learning, because deep learning isn't always a good fit. Um, what does edge mean? Where does it fit? How do we leverage IoT, 5G? I mean, there's some really big things coming at people. What are some of the sort of bullet points that they should be thinking about even just to have a conversation in their organization about now in your view? You know, I think one of the most important things to be thinking about and putting at least the basics um, in place is the data strategy. And that is, you know, where where do you have your um, really core data sets? You know, for us, we think about customer data. We think about our order data. We think about uh, what we call entitlements, which is a customer's contract, right, uh, for use over a period of time. And then we have all, and when I think of those as really kind of core data sets, there's probably many more, including employees and um I'm probably only scratching the surface. And then you have another set of data, like a lot of IoT that may or may not be critical to your operations. It's really useful, but putting the thought behind um, what data do you want to ensure that you have it, you know, either highly available and structured for use in different aspects of machine learning or, you know, eventually deep learning when you've figured out like what you're what you're looking for. Um, and then what will you what will we do with all of the IoT data that's coming at us? What are we gonna do with all of the um, you know, the aspect of five G will really shift our network uh, and the capabilities that we have in terms of where data is potentially not only derived but where it's stored and how we pull it together. But I would say today really start thinking about um, how do you get yourself set up for the future? Um, because the future is going to have a, I mean, we're going to have so much data coming out of us, at us, out of us. Uh, we're going to have a lot of data coming at us and there is an insatiable appetite to use it. And so, you know, bringing, how do we bring those things together and get prepared for that now is really important, including, you know, what, what data are you going to keep um, on premise? What data do you want to have in the cloud? What data do you, you know, can you think about that needs to be available on the edge so that, that you're going to have the best information at the right source? And, you know, we might not have all the answers today, but we can at least start putting the thought behind it so that we can get things prepared. I love that. I don't that. think our business partners are going to, I mean, they're not going to want to wait long 
right when you start seeing what capabilities we have. I think that's a brilliant piece of advice. Start with the data because it essentially underpins everything else. Well, um, before I let you go, I'd love to ask you to do one last thing, if you don't mind, and that is that I always ask my guests to sort of uh, allow me to pass you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment. Um, As a final question before we wrap up, if it's okay, um, over the next 12 to 18 months, I mean, you're living and breathing some of these biggest trends and bigger shifts. Uh, where do you see us being in the next 12 to 18 months if you're going to just generally you know, crystal ball gaze for a moment in a virtual sense? Um, with all of these shifts, uh, in 12 to 18 months, where, where do you think we're going to be sort of as a, as a world where we're adopting some of these technologies? You're implementing them inside Dell. They're going out to your business partners in Idgrays and VARs and ISVs. Consumers are going to be getting access to these. What are some of the bigger things you think are coming over the horizon we can sort of anticipate um, the high level that we should be thinking about? Um, well, thank you for this crystal ball. Um, I, I, you know, I think when I look 12 to 18 months, doesn't feel that far away, actually, you know, it feels like that's really, um, around the corner. And I, I think it's probably similar, um, to what we're just talking about. I think 12 to 18 months from now, we're, we're going to have even more, uh, data that people are going to want to use. Um, but I think within, I, I mean, I see it today that we are just scratching the surface on how people are able to interpret the data we have and make good use of it. I hope that in the next 12 to 18 months, we continue to see even more compelling use of data to make decisions for us or to give us insightful um, information that we can use. That's my, maybe that's my um, my hope, right, is that we'll we'll see even more of that over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, I don't know. When I think about it with my team, I would not uh, bet against a slowdown in the regulatory changes that we see coming at us. So being able to respond quickly to those things also means, you know, being organized in our architecture and our data and regulatory. I mean, that could be you know, it could be tax, it could be tariffs, it can be data residency. There's a lot of things that as an IT organization, we want to be able to respond quickly to so that we can continue to innovate and, you know, spend our time um, doing things that help to move the business forward, not just be compliant. And, you know, I'm betting, I'm betting on all this container Kubernetes work. I think that's going to be a nice win for us too. No, I like that. No, that's a good balance. It's uh, yeah. keep your eye on the future of the big shifting uh, landscape stuff around, you know, the likes of GDPR and other compliance and regulatory requirements uh, globally and domestically. But at the same time, uh, keep your finger on the pulse for the new exciting uh, things that are moving quickly. Well, it's been fantastic yeah. to catch up with you, Jen. I absolutely love hearing from uh, some of these amazing anecdotes you've shared and the insights you've shared on both yourself and your role as Chief Digital Officer and uh, the balance of CIO uh, inside Dell Digital. Uh, and I really appreciate you sharing so many great insights and kind of what's happening in the organization and, and your amazing advice there just to wrap up. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon. Well, thank you very much, Des. I really enjoyed it.